What does it take to get your attention? I suppose there are different things to get our attention in different circumstances. You hear a noise in the middle of the night, and so you go and you try to figure out what that noise is. Uh, maybe something else happens to you. It's the middle of the big game, and your wife is trying to get your attention and to take something really heavy and hard uh, to get that attention. Uh, for some, it seems like there's nothing we can do. We can hear what's being said to us, but we don't want to pay attention to it. What does it take to get your attention? God sought to get the attention of his people Israel. Amos' message was one aimed at getting their attention, but they didn't seem to want to hear what God had to say. His message was not a positive one. It was a message more akin to someone saying, uh, what we don't want to hear today. Yet there was a great danger facing Israel if they did not listen to this message. It's relevant for us because many of the things that God says through Amos are messages that are relevant and impacting our lives today. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to Amos. And this morning we're going to be looking at Amos chapters 4 through 6. And as we look at these chapters, we want to highlight the spiritual problems of Israel scattered throughout these three chapters. And then we want to look at God's steps to gain Israel's attention and his warning to them. And then think about how we can avoid the problems that Israel was facing as we are God's people today. So let's start by thinking about the, the problems, the spiritual problems of Israel. There are a number of problems that Israel faced, but, but one of those problems seem to be the issue of materialism. Look at Amos chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, for instance. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring now that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, behold, days are coming upon you when they will, make you, they will take you away with meat hooks and the last of you with fish hooks. You will go out through breaches in the wall, each one straight before her, and you will be cast to Harmon, declares the Lord. There is a problem with Israel. And one of those problems was the, the problem of materialism. Uh, there was great wealth in Israel in the days that Amos is writing, during the days of Jeroboam II. And because of that, you had some wealthy women Amos does something that is not wise for uh, most of the rest of us, and that's to call those women cows of Bashan. I uh, wouldn't recommend that, but he says, you cows of Bashan, and they want their husbands just to go out and get more and more and more so that they can feed and, and please themselves. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, Though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you, live, you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. And again, verses 12 and 13. I know your transgressions are many, and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes, you turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. They practiced materialism in the sense that their wives wanted more and more. Uh, there was a drive to get more and more. Uh, and to do that, they oppressed the poor. Uh, they accepted bribes. Uh, and so you had judicial 
uh, corruption all around. All of this feeds into the idea of materialism. They just wanted to have things, and they trusted in those things. And so God was going to take those things away. Look at chapter 6, verses 1 following. Woe to those who are at Zion and to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria, the distinguished men of the foremost of nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Go over to Calna, look, and from there to Hamath the great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms or is their territory greater than yours? Do you put off the day of calamity? Will you bring near the seat of violence those who recline? on beds of ivory, and sprawl on their couches, and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of the harp, and like David, have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls while they anoint themselves with the finest of oils. Yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. They were more concerned for their luxury than they were for the spiritual state of Israel. Notice the language that he uses, ivory beds. Ivory beds. When was the last time you slept on an ivory bed? It doesn't really sound that comfortable, does it? Uh, but you can imagine a bed frame made of ivory. I mean, that would be rather enriched even today, wouldn't it? If someone truly had ivory, uh, a bed post, a bed frame made out of ivory and sat. Yet there were wealthy people in Israel at this time, and, and they were more concerned about those things than they were about the spiritual well-being of Israel. So the historical context, as I mentioned, uh, takes place during the time of Jeroboam II, about 760 to uh, 757 B.C. Uh, and this was a time in which Israel was, was well-to-do. Many times we look at the Old Testament prophets and we think, well, after the time of Solomon, Israel really declined. And sometimes that was the case. But Israel was still in a place geographically where they were able to take advantage of trade between nations. Uh, they still were able to profit agriculturally. And so there were periods of time when they were extremely wealthy. And the reign of Jeroboam II was one of those. Jeroboam uh, was able to uh, expand the borders of Israel. Uh, it had shrunk from the time that Solomon uh, had been king, but during his time it expanded once again. And so they were able to have great things and have a good deal of trade with other nations. And there, it was a wealthy nation. But they began to depend upon their wealth and to lean upon that wealth. And so because of that, that led them into a desire to have more and more. Chapter 5, verse 11, as we've already said, makes mention of heavy rent that they would put on the poor. They accepted bribes, as we've seen already in, in, in verse 12, if we go back to chapter 2 just briefly, uh, we will notice also chapter 2, verse 6, uh, that they enslave their brothers. Uh, Therefore, thus says the Lord, for the transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not provoke its punishment, because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. And so they enslaved their own brethren to get ahead. Verse 8, on garments taken as pledges, they stretch out beside every altar, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. And so you can see that they would take advantage. Those in power would take advantage of those who are in need. They trusted on and sought after more and more greater wealth. 
materialism and military successes became their trust rather than God. And so this is one of the problems that Israel faced, but it wasn't the only problem. They also had vain spirituality. Go back to chapter 6. We've already mentioned uh, verses 1 through 3. Uh, excuse me, you know, go back to chapter 4. Um, in looking at chapter 4, we begin to see this idea of vain spirituality. Chapter 4, verse 4. Enter Bethel and transgress. In Gilgal, multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a thank offering also from that which is leavened. And proclaim free will offerings. Make them known, for so you love to do, you sons of Israel. Do you see what God's saying here? Go through the steps of worship. In fact, you have great wealth. Let's show how much you love God by every three days you make a tithe. And you go through those steps. You go through the show of spiritual awakening and yet there really is no spiritual awakening. You go through the steps of showing that you are religious, but you're really not. You're just going through these things for a step, or, or for a show, rather, of, of showing that you're religious, but really your heart's not there. And you even brag about your offerings. Look at chapter 4 and verse 5 again. Proclaim free will offerings, make them known. For so you love to do, you sons of Israel. They're making these offerings and telling everyone about it. I'm going to give X number of dollars to the temple. I'm going to give X number of dollars uh, to the priests. But they were only doing that for show. Making those offerings so they could brag about it, so they could proclaim it uh, to the people that were around them. And so spiritual worship without true hearts, was despised by God. Chapter 5, verse 21. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at your priest, the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. They went through the motions. They did all the things that they needed to do. But it wasn't real. It wasn't authentic. And because of that, God said, I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not going to accept it. Uh, so they had made no attempt to truly follow God other than to do it for show. And so God says, I'm not going to accept what you're offering. Now let that sink in for just a second. Sometimes today we take the attitude that God has to accept my worship. Well, no, he doesn't. If your heart's not really there, if you're just going through the motions uh, because you want others to see you, God says, I'm not going to accept that. He said, I'm not going to listen to your singing. I'm not going to listen to your songs. Now, if you've heard my singing, you might understand that more. But uh, he says to Israel, I'm not going to listen to what you're offering. I'm not going to accept those offerings because your heart's not there. 
It's all a facade. And so because of that, he says, your worship is vain. He doesn't delight in verse 21. He doesn't delight in verse 21 in those offerings. He's not going to accept them in verse 22. He's not going to listen to them in verse 23. He says, take it away. And so true spirituality comes by following God with a whole heart. And there are so many people today who are seeking a closeness with God. But where does closeness come from? How do we develop that closeness? If we look at some of the things that God says here in a reverse order, we can see some of those things. First of all, to trust and lean on God instead of our wealth, instead of the blessings uh, that we have. Lean on God. Recognize those blessings come from God. Acknowledge those gifts are from Him. Rather than looking at our own ability to create wealth or to create things, we ought to acknowledge, hey, you know what? God gave me the ability to do this. God gave me the ability to have these things. Instead of just clamoring for more, acknowledge that those come from God. And then worship God from a true heart. That's what God seeks. That's what God wants for His people. That was true in Israel's day, and that's true for today. So let's think about what God did to gain the attention of Israel as He gives His warnings. First thing that we notice is that God had previously tried to get Israel's attention and called her to repentance. So we come back to chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, I gave you also cleanness of teeth in all your cities, a lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Furthermore, I withheld the rain from you. And while there were still three months until harvest, then I would send rain on one city, and on another city, I would not send rain. One part would be rained on, while the part not rained on would dry up. So two or three cities would stagger to another city to drink water, but would not be satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. And so God says, I sent famine and drought on you as a way to wake you up, as a way to get your attention. And yet you would not listen. God calls us to repentance. God does things at times to get the attention of his people. God used natural disaster. Verse 9, I smote you with scorching wind, with mildew. With the caterpillar was devouring uh, your mini gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, and yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Verse 10, I sent the plague on you. I sent a plague among you after the manner of Egypt, and I slew your young men by the sword. Along with your captured horses, I made the stench of your camp rise up in your nostrils, yet you have not returned to the Lord. So he uses famine and drought. He uses natural disaster. He uses death for, uh, coming through plagues and through war. And that none of that was getting Israel's attention. That they should seek God. That they should lean on God. That they should go after God. Instead, they just continued in their idolatry. They continued in their materialism. They continued in their selfish pursuits. And so God says, prepare to me. I'm going to bring judgment upon you. Chapter 6, verse 10, uh, or if you're assuming chapter 6, verse 12. 
Do your horses run on rocks? Or does one plow them with oxen, yet you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood? You who rejoice in Lodabar and say, Have we not by our own strength taken Karnam for ourselves? For behold, I'm going to raise up against you, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. And they will afflict you from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Arabia. God's going to bring his judgment because they ignored the Lord. Chapter 5. Verses 12 and 13. For I know your transgressions are many, your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes who turn aside from the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such time, the person, uh, uh, prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. Thus says the, the, the Lord of God of hosts, may be with you, just as you have said. And finally, chapter 4, verse 12. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because you will do, I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. God's going to bring a, a day of judgment on Israel because she for, continues to drive away from God. And he's going to bring that judgment upon them. Then God uses this language of chapter 5 and verse 18. It talks about the day of the Lord. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will not be, it will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home and leans against his wall, and a snake bites him, will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness? The Israelites were looking for this idea of the day of the Lord. And so many times they'd heard this phrase, the day of the Lord. And usually the name or the phrase day of the Lord meant a time that God was going to bring judgment on the nations. And they would get so excited because that was going to be their reprieve. That was going to be their hope uh, from being afflicted by other nations. The day of the Lord's coming. But now the day of the Lord is not somebody else's day of judgment. But it's a day of judgment for Israel. God says, it's not going to be the day you're looking for. It's going to be a day of darkness, not of light. It's not going to be a day of rejoicing for you. It's going to be a day of judgment because you have refused to repent. When I've given you all these opportunities to return to the Lord. And so God's judgment is said to be sure. Chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this word which I take up for you as a dirge, O house of Israel. She has fallen. She will not rise again, the virgin of Israel. She lies neglected on her land. There is no one to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city which goes forth a thousand strong will have a hundred left. Thus says the Lord. And again, the second part of that verse. And the one which goes forth a hundred strong will have ten left to the house of Israel. God says, you may go out thinking you're a strong city. A thousand of you go out, only a hundred come back. A hundred of you go out, only ten come back. Ten percent? They're going to be wiped out. Notice the language that he uses is past tense, or, or it's being spoken as if it has already happened. A thousand of you go out. A hundred come back. God's judgment is sure. 
And because it is sure, it's going to happen. He says, you don't seek refuge in other places because it's not going to help you. No matter where you go, my judgment's going to find you. Verse 4, for thus says the Lord God to the house of Israel, seek me that you may live. Do not resort to Bethel. Do not come to Gilgal. Do not cross over to Bathsheba, for Gilgal will certainly go into captivity, and Bethel will come to trouble. Seek the Lord that you may live, or he will break forth like a fire, O house of Joseph, and it will consume with none to quench it for Bethel. For those who turn, to just, turn justice into wormwood and cast righteousness down to the earth. Don't go to Gilgal. Don't go to other nations. Don't go to other cities. Don't go to Bethel where you set up this false god. It can't save you. No one can save you. The only way that you can be saved is to return to the Lord. Your wealth can't save you. You're instead going to be exiled to another nation that I'm going to send against you. When God's judgment is made, there's no escape except to come to God and to lean on God. And yet, even in the midst of warning, God still has his hand open for repentance. God says, I have another plan, and that plan is another nation is going to come and to attack you and to lead you into captivity. Chapter 6, verse 12, as we've already mentioned, do you run on horses? Do horses run on rocks, or does one plow them with oxen? Yet you have turned justice into poison, the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who re rejoice in Lodabar and say, We have not taken, have we not taken by our own strength, Arneum for ourselves? Behold, I am going to raise up a nation against you, O Israel. And that's exactly what would happen. God would raise up the Assyrians not long after this. He would take Israel into captivity. Within one generation, they would be attacked by the Assyrians, by Tiglath-Pileser III, that's a good name. Uh, by 722, the Assyrians under Shalmaneser would uh, besiege Samaria, and Sargon II would deport 27,000 people from the kingdom of Samaria, or from the northern kingdom. God's warning is that if you do not turn to God, you will be destroyed. And yet, even in the midst of warning, God gives them the opportunity to repent. Five different times he uses this phrase, you did not seek me, or you did not return to me. God gives examples, and multiple, or gives multiple chances and appeals. Seek me that you may live, chapter 5 and verse 4. Seek the Lord that you may live, chapter 5, verse 6. Seek good and not evil, chapter 5, verse 14 through 15. Let justice roll down, chapter 5, and verse 24. And this is the awesomeness of God. That even in the midst of our sin, even in those times of warning, He always leaves the door open. That if you will repent and come to Him, he will forgive, and He will restore, and He will give life. Even in our lives today, when we have sin in our life, and we have things that we know violate God's will, and we can read these warnings as being directed at us, God's door is open for those who are willing to repent and come to Him. 
And just as was mentioned in class today, repentance isn't the idea of simply saying, yes, I, I, I committed sin and then continuing in that sin. Repentance is the idea of turning away from sin, turning away from a lifestyle, turning away from things that we know are against who God is. So that we change what we do and we seek to follow God. That is the awesomeness of God. It's His love and His forgiveness, His willingness to allow us to come back to Him. So how can we avoid the problems of Israel's mistakes today? As we think about materialism, the problem of trusting in wealth and things is ever prevalent in our society and culture today. Israel pushed more and more for luxury at the expense of others. Nothing was wrong in their eyes uh, with doing those things. And certainly there's nothing wrong with having blessings. Nothing is wrong with being a wealthy person. Nothing is wrong with the ability to create wealth. But the problem comes when we begin to depend on that wealth rather than God. The problem comes when we no longer see God as the source of those blessings. Or the problem becomes when we begin using corruption and oppression and taking advantage of others so that we can have those things. That's when we begin to face problems. Problems develop when we trust in things rather than God. We fail to acknowledge God's role in our blessings and we pursue greater wealth rather than following God and ultimately it leads us to spiritual complacency and vanity. In our community... Great stress is placed on wealth and on politics. In a context that we have today, we may be tempted to think that we have all that we need and that we just have to give more to get more rather than truly following God from a clear heart and from a cheerful, cheerful heart. But yet we still have that obligation to serve God. Spiritual vanity is a problem in the church today. Spiritual, uh, spirituality is more than a worshiping God once a week and saying that's a relationship. For any relationship to thrive, for any relationship uh, to be strong and healthy, uh, you need to have, first of all, uh, an investment in time. And when we're talking about a relationship with God, that includes time doing prayers. That includes reading. That includes study. That includes worship. Relationships need the investment of resources, energy, financial, service. Think about your personal relationships. When you're in a relationship with someone and they seem to give nothing, what does that do to the relationship? But when someone invests in you, doesn't that bolster you? Doesn't that build you up? Doesn't that make your relationship solid? And invest love. Not what can I get? but how can I give? And when we approach our relationship with God and we're not willing to invest, that relationship begins to wither. We begin to lean on someone other than God. We begin to lean on ourselves. We begin to lean on things rather than God. So as Christians today, we need to listen for God's voice. We need to recognize moments when we need to turn to God. Not every calamity is a call for repentance. We know that from the story of Job. Job was a righteous man. He didn't do anything to deserve the things that he went through. It was a test that Satan was throwing at him. And how did Satan throw it? 
And yet sometimes when I face adversity in my life, sometimes that's a good time for me to stand still and turn to God and, and ask myself some hard questions. Maybe I have strayed in my life, and it's time for me to get back to following God. Maybe I've created a mess of things in my life, and it's time for me to turn back to God. Maybe I suffer because of other variables, but God is my only respite, my only relief, and so I can lean on Him. And so finally we seek God, a God who wants us to follow Him. He's not forcing you to follow Him. He wants you to choose to follow Him. He's laid out the pros and the cons of what it is to have a relationship with Him and to follow Him, and you can see what the blessings are to have that relationship with God and what life can be like in the absence of a relationship with God. And so God calls us to seek the good, to seek following God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. He wants us to be in a good relationship with Him as our Father, as our Creator, as the one who sustains us. And He's willing to forgive every sin in our life if we will follow Him. Repent with a true heart and worship Him with a true heart. And maybe you're here this morning and you need to follow Christ by being united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. Maybe you have some other needs and you want the prayers of the church to help you as you pursue those needs in that relationship with God. But whatever your need, won't you come? As together we stand and